You're listening to Reformed University Fellowship at the University of Kentucky. Here at RUF, we believe that you are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace, and you are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. For more information, check us out at ruf.org backslash UK or on Instagram at UKRUF. Thanks so much for listening. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Uh, K-week and the first week of class to like a, um, it's kind of like a cheesecake factory menu. You know, when you walk into a cheesecake factory and you open up the menu and you realize... It's not a menu, it's like a chapter book with all sorts of things that you can eat. And um, the first week kind of feels like that. There's so much going on around campus, and that can be overwhelming. And so we're really glad that you're here tonight. Um, I just want to say that this is usually the time of RUF uh, each week where we read Scripture. Uh, usually each semester what we'll do is we'll take either like a portion of Scripture or a book of the Bible, and, and we'll kind of just study that uh, for the semester. And, and the reason we do that is... Uh, for two reasons, really. If, if you're here tonight and, and you're a believer, uh, you can't really grow apart from reading God's Word. Uh, but, but also, if you're here tonight and you're just checking Christianity out, there's no better way to check Christianity out than to read the Bible and to check out the Bible. And so, uh, regardless of where you're coming from tonight, uh, we really are glad that you're here. Um, and it's our prayer that you would actually find uh, RUF to be a place where you can grow in your faith, uh, where you can ask hard questions, uh, and where you can find community. Uh, and so what we're going to do this semester is we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke. Um, and, and Luke, as Sarah just read, in his Gospel, starts off in verse 4, and he says something, um, I, I think, pretty intriguing. He, he says he, he writes this book uh, so that we might have certainty. Uh, and, and in a world where they're, even right now, and especially right now, there is so much uncertainty and, and instability. Luke writes a gospel that we might know with certainty that there is a Savior who has come uh, to bring hope to the hopeless, to bring healing to those who are hurting, and to bring salvation uh, to the lost. And, and that's news we, we need now more than ever. And so that's what we're going to look at uh, this semester. So we're going to look at tonight. Um, we're going to look uh, at two things, just briefly. As Luke introduces the, the book in the first four verses, uh, we're going to look tonight at, at who is this book for. It's uh, actually our second point. First, we're going to look at uh, what is this book about? And secondly, who, who is this book for? So I'm, I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then we'll dive in. Uh, Father, thank you so much. Uh, For this day, thank you for this time, Lord, to gather in the midst of a busy week, in the midst of so many different things going on. Uh, Lord, we are so thankful uh, for the opportunity uh, just to sit and be still and to sing and to pray. And we pray tonight, Lord, uh, that you would meet us wherever we're coming from. Lord, some are coming into this room uh, feeling really anxious already uh, about this semester, Uh, whether that's because of school uh, or relationships. Uh, Lord, others are coming tonight excited, uh, excited for uh, this year and excited to grow. And Lord, I, I pray that you would meet all of us tonight. 
uh, in our excitement, in our fear, in our anxiety, in our bitterness. Lord, would you meet us and transform us by your gospel? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there's been so much going on uh, in our world uh, in the past uh, few months. Uh, there's been numerous times, just even in the past few weeks, where I've seen something like on news or on Twitter or, or both, where it's like you see an image or a video and you're like, that can't be real. Like, is that, re- is that really happening? Uh, there was massive flooding uh, not far from where my parents live in Tennessee the other day, 17 inches in 24 hours. It rained. It was like, am I reading that right? That's crazy. Um, I've seen images uh, that are horrible from Afghanistan of, of babies being like handed over barbed wire fences so they can catch a flight. And when I see things like this, my, my, my thought is, especially in the age we live in, I'm like, is, is this real? Like, is this real? Is this fake news? What, what is this like a doctored image? And so uh, I especially, especially when I saw that picture of the baby being handed, I don't know if you all have seen this, but there was a famous image went viral last week of uh, an Afghan family handing their baby to U.S. soldiers over a barbed wire fence. And I remember thinking, I want to check and see like the story behind that. And it turns out that there is a story behind it. The family was reunited. It was a real story. Um, but I kind of have to do some digging. Um, I say all that to say Luke, uh, the gospel of Luke is written by someone who is investigating Christianity and presenting an account for someone who has questions about it. Uh, Luke, if you're in the Enneagram, Luke's probably like an investigator type. He's like one of those people that just gets into a topic. And he writes probably the most detailed gospel in the Bible. Um, And he presents this orderly account for someone who's uh, who's interested in in the Bible. We'll get to him in a moment. But um, what Luke is doing is writing an account for those who have heard about Christianity but have questions. He's writing it at a time when Christianity is, is growing like crazy. And it's growing like crazy in, in really unlikely places. In the Roman Empire, they never acknowledged there to be one God. And now all of a sudden, Christianity is thriving in this empire that had tried to stamp out Christianity. Uh, and so what Luke does is he kind of does a deep dive into the story of Jesus. People had heard about this guy named Jesus who lived in like this random corner of the Roman Empire, a town called Nazareth. He claimed to be God. He healed people. He did miracles. Uh, He died. And he claimed as he was dying that he was dying for their sins. And then people followed him. And then people even like died for believing in him. Um, And so Luke is is capturing what he says in the the passage. He's capturing all these eyewitnesses accounts. uh, And he's writing an orderly account. He's he's basically writing to this man. We'll get to him in a moment. And he's saying, I want to write you a narrative. I want to write you a story that you might have certainty. And look, that's a huge point because I think a lot of us come into this room tonight, regardless of what your background is, um, and we long for certainty. Uh, all of us long for it. Uh, I think you'd love to be certain that you make the grades that you want to make this semester. You'd love to be certain that you get a job after this. But I think there is a deep longing within us that we want to be certain that our life matters, that our life has purpose. And Luke is writing this gospel that we might have certainty, that the gospel is true. And I know that brings about all sorts of questions. Um, there was, uh, so Google, 
uh, does these, they do these book forums. I guess uh, since they're a big company, they're a fun company, they'll bring in authors and they'll do Q&A. Uh, the, the author will kind of present what the book's about and then people get to ask some questions. And one of the most interesting ones they did was about, well, it was in 2008 or 2009, however long ago that was. There was an author named Tim Keller who's a pastor in New York City, he wrote a book called The Reason for God where he kind of addressed common objections to Christianity. And so he kind of presents the, the thesis of the book and then afterwards he gets all this Q&A and it's from all these like, Wicked smart Google employees, computer programmers. And so one of them cleverly gets up at the end and he says this. Um, this is one of the last questions. He says, well, you see, I'm God. And you should bow down and worship me. And I'll send you to my hell if you don't. Oh, and also I died for you out somewhere in Antarctica. And though I don't have any rational evidence, you should believe me. And kind of without skipping a beat, uh, Keller responds to him and he says, Okay, sure, fair argument, but the Bible never does that. The Bible never asks you to agree to something or to believe something without rational evidence. And this is exactly what Luke does in the first four verses. If you look at the passage, he says he's consulted eyewitness accounts. Uh, he's followed this with great interest. He's providing an orderly account. What the Bible does is it doesn't ask you to make some crazy blind leap of faith where we say, oh, I know this is crazy. I know this goes against all odds, but I'm just going to believe anyway. That's what faith is. No, according to Luke and according to the Bible, our faith is rested in the facts of history. And so he writes this orderly account. The Bible asks us, it says, check the eyewitnesses. Uh, check the history books. And, and so what... what Luke is doing is he's giving us an orderly account that we may have certainty. That we may have certainty about what? That the gospel is true. Um, I think in our day and age, we associate gospel with like religious, or maybe you've grown up in the church, you're like, oh, the gospel, that's like a churchy religious word. And it wasn't always the case. Gospel actually used to be a military word uh, that, that kind of connoted a, a a news that was heralded after a military victory. So it, it was news that was like, had huge ramifications. So if it was a military victory, that meant like new ruler, new taxes, new laws, and that news was announced. It was literally gospeled. And, and all the first four books of the New Testament are called gospels. Uh, the writers took that language because what they were writing about was life-changing. I'm sure you've had a friend or maybe you've been that friend, you know. You've done that thing and you've told everyone you know, you've got to do this thing. CrossFit, keto. My wife's on a Peloton kick, big Peloton kick. I'm not there yet. Um, whatever, you know, you've got to try this. You've got to, this was awesome. You've got to do maybe it's music, um, whatever. Um, Luke here is saying he's not just writing this orderly account so that someone can have like an organized portfolio and be like, oh, th this is what Christianity is. No, he's writing this orderly account because he believes the gospel changes lives. That's what the book is. He believes that this gospel announces a victory that changes lives. In the same way that military victories changed the lives of those people, what Luke will write on these pages as we study this semester is that reading this book and meeting this Jesus actually changes lives because what you see when you read through the book of Luke is you will meet a savior who doesn't run from your sadness and he doesn't run from your fear and he doesn't run from the things that you're ashamed of, but he actually enters in to those places. 
You'll see Jesus meet people in the moments where they are most afraid and bring comfort. You'll see Jesus enter into situations that are desperate and gross and deathly, and he brings life. And you'll see Jesus walk up to desperate people without hope and bring hope. This book, Luke claims, is life-changing because Jesus changes lives. That's what the book is. So, 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 so who is this book for? Um, it's for people who long to grow in that certainty. And so what that means is, is that means it's for people who maybe you've got lots of questions and uh, you're coming and you're like, okay, I'm, 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 I want to know more about Christianity. Uh, this book is for you. Or as well, it's, it's for people who are, are believers and have questions. Because Paul writes this book, he says in verse 4, Oh, excellent Theophilus. Um, we don't know much about Theophilus, but we know that Luke thought that he would benefit from hearing about an orderly account about Jesus. So obviously, he'd heard about Jesus enough to be interested in him, but he also had lots of questions. And, and so Paul writes him this account to Theophilus, which is a name that literally means God lover or lover of God. And we don't know if that was his real name uh, or a name that was given to him. A lot of people think because the, the, the term excellent was before him, he was like an important person in the Roman Empire. Um, regardless, this person is like you and me. There are going to be moments, they've probably already happened today, where you, where, you, where you doubt. Maybe it's an intellectual doubt. Maybe it's something you experienced and it makes you question whether or not God loves you or whether or not you're lovable. And, and Paul is writing, and Luke, sorry, Luke is writing this book to people like you and me that we might know and we might have certainty that there is a God who rescues sinners, who enters in to our pain. And, and so if you're here tonight and you have questions, you have doubts, RUF is a place for you. And if you're here tonight and, and you, you can't wait to grow and you want to take this campus by storm and you're so excited to grow in your faith, then we want to be a place for you to equip you and to help you, to help you grow and learn more. Uh, we want to be that place for you. Um, and RUF, yeah, you still might be wondering, even after hearing all that, okay, the gospel is important. Theophilus needs to hear it. Uh, but why? Why would a book like this be important for me? Why would it be worth my time spending Wednesday nights this semester hearing from the book of Luke? And I'll quote C.S. Lewis to answer that question to you. He said, Christianity, if false, if Christianity is false, is of no importance. But if it is true, it is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Uh, we believe the gospel is true and therefore infinitely important because of the God who it represents. And so uh, we don't believe that what we do on, on Wednesday nights is just gather around. We don't believe Christianity is just moral teaching. We believe there's great moral teaching in the Bible. Uh, we don't believe Jesus was just a great rabbi or, or a great example or a great teacher. Uh, he was those things, but that is not good news that saves us. Great teaching and good examples are fantastic, until you begin to realize you can't measure up to that great teaching or those great moral examples. Uh, great teaching and great examples doesn't meet us in our guilt. It doesn't meet us in our shame. And, and the beauty of the gospel uh, is that Jesus does. And, and this is so different from the narrative we hear every day. 
Every day in one form or another, you and I are told it's up to you. You might be telling yourself that this semester, I've got to do, and you fill in the blank, better at school. I've got to get that bid. I've got to get that internship. I've got to set myself apart. I've, I've got to do more. I've got to be noticed. I've got to do better. And, and, it's, and, and it's only the third day of classes, and I know some of you already are swimming in that pressure. And, and here's the remarkable thing, is that some of you have actually done those things, and it can be a good feeling. But you've also probably tasted the fact that it does not last. There was a British Olympian back in the 08 Olympics. She said this. Um, uh, she won gold, and she was recounting. She was, she was a cyclist. Uh, she won gold in the Olympics, and she was recounting her experience. She said this. She said, I was an emotional wreck beforehand, she admitted. I worried that I would be the one person who let down the team. So winning was just a relief. And even that felt like a complete anticlimax. It was very surreal on the podium. And as soon as I stepped off it, I thought, what on earth am I going to do now? I found it quite hard to deal with. It was as if I've got no purpose anymore. That's from someone who's tasted the pinnacle of success. You know, you can't do much better than an Olympic gold medal. And notice that I think some of you probably taste that before too. You've gotten it. And it's almost like we can't even enjoy it. It just feels like a relief. It's not so much that we get to enjoy the success, it's more the relief that we didn't fail. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus came for people who have tasted success and been left wanting. He came for people who feel like they do not measure up. And he came down to lay down his life for you. That's what makes Christianity so much different from every other religion. Every other religion says, these are the terms you obey, you'll be successful, you'll be accepted. Christianity is the total opposite. Jesus comes and lays down his life for you and loves you and says, you're accepted now, therefore go and follow and obey me. That order is crucial. And so we'll join with the encouragement that we're given in Hebrews 12. Let us fix, this is what we want to do this semester, is let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We want to bathe in that truth. I love that. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Why did Jesus go to the cross? For you. One of my favorite movies to watch with our kids is Hook. If you haven't watched Hook, you need to watch it. But the, the whole time... Old Peter Pan, played by Robin Williams, goes back to Neverland. He can't do anything. He's lame. He's like a deadbeat dad. And uh, he's trying to win his kids' favor back. They like Captain Hook now. And they keep telling him, like, hey, you're only going to be able to fly. He keeps trying to fly like he used to be able to. They'll only be able to do that when you find your happy thought. And he finally, finally thinks of his happy thought. He finally goes and rescues his kids. And he walks up to his kids and he goes, you know what? I've been searching this whole time for my happy thought. And you know what my happy thought is? It's you. And all of a sudden that begins to transform the relationship he has with his children who resented him and actually now accept him. When you know that you are beloved, that changes everything. And that's what we're going to explore this semester.
Page after page on this gospel is an account of a God who will go to any lengths to get his people that we might have certainty about who he is and what he's all about. So come back each week. That's my encouragement to you. And we'll be gathered here, small groups, one-on-ones, that we might know and be transformed by Jesus. So let me pray. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for the gospel. Uh, Lord, we thank you that the gospel is true. And Lord, we do pray that this year uh, that the gospel, the good news, uh, Lord, would not merely be uh, news that we hear, but it would actually take root in our hearts, uh, that we might be transformed and healed. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. You guys can go ahead and stand while I'm getting set up here.